Bishop Ryan Catholic School is dedicated to serving God and his children by laying the foundation for lasting happiness through education and virtue. Together with our parents, we're raising his lions. Here's Father Jada Nelson. Welcome back to this episode of Raising His Lions. I'm Father Jaden Nelson, and today is Monday, April 24th. We uh, are coming to an end here at uh, in this academic year, and uh, it's hard to believe that we have less than a month of school left. So um, down the stretch we come. Uh, today, as we get together um, for this episode, we're going to begin with prayer, and the prayer is the prayer at dawn of St. Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the great uh, Eastern fathers of the church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I rise and pledge myself, Lord, that this day I shall do no evil deed, but offer every moment as a sacrifice to you. I blush when I remember my sinfulness. I shudder when to recall how I have betrayed you. Yet you know that now I want only to serve you. Make me this day your devoted servant. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's begin our episode today with this week's Vital Virtues! This week's Vital Virtue is Magnificence. Magnificence means doing great things for God. Doing great things for God. It also uh, has an opposing trait, which is being wasteful or not responding to grace. Um, and then the ways to cultivate you to use one's talents for the good and to act with generosity towards others. So, um, as you know, we, the virtues that we use are from the disciple of Christ, uh, program, which is put out by the Dominican sisters of Mary, mother of the Eucharist in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, they do a great job of, um, teaching virtue through this program, which we've really benefited from and, and appreciate. But the, uh, I have to say the definition of magnificence today, I think, is a little bit restricted um, or maybe not restricted, too, too wide, too broad um, in terms of its technical understanding. Magnificence literally means, you know, making great things. Um, and so the meaning doing great things for God is true in a certain sense, but magnificence is really about making great things. And it's an interesting virtue because magnificence, St. Thomas Aquinas says that magnificence is one of the only virtues uh, that require um, external wealth in order to achieve them uh, or to achieve it. So the idea of magnificence versus magnanimity, um, magnanimity is having a great soul. Um, and so ma the magnanimous person doesn't need um, wealth uh, in order to accomplish great spiritual things to take on noble endeavors, but the magnificent person does need um, a certain level of, of wealth in order to do things that are above the ordinary, to, to do things that are great. And I think this virtue is timely for us because I want to talk a little bit today about uh, two things that um, have been on our minds here at Bishop Ryan uh, recently. And uh, the first is the campus master plan process that we're going through. So I just want to take a moment to update everybody on kind of where this process is, what the process is, how it's going to be um, brought about and, and concluded, uh, and what it means. Um, the Campus Master Plan 
is really a comprehensive strategic plan for facilities and grounds, which includes then educational programming that um, is reliant upon our facility in order to to happen. And so the campus master plan is something that we need to do now because as you know, we are growing. Um, we are outgrowing our current footprint of our school. But on top of that, you know, when we went through our Living Our Mission campaign and strategic plan, we basically de decided to avoid talking too much about facilities because the facility piece of our, our, um, our strategic vision of where we're going um, was not ready to be tackled. We had other things that were of a greater priority uh, in my mind that needed to be worked on. And, and so we've really focused on um, our educational plan. Uh, we've focused on financial strength and stability for the school uh, through raising funds, uh, endowed funds in particular for teacher endowment and endowed scholarships. Uh, we focused on accessibility through those scholarships. We focused on um, teacher retention and, and um, really the heart of our school. And so the last campaign and the last strategic plan was about the, the internal nuts and bolts of people and process that um, really are the heart of our school. Uh, this, but then once you kind of get that in order and, and get that figured out, um, the idea was that we were going to begin to see um, you know, positive enrollment trends and positive enrollment numbers, and which we have seen. Um, as you know, we have uh, a waiting list for kindergarten this year. We have three kindergartens, um, and we have been growing, um, you know, year over year, um, little by little. Uh, but uh, you know, our growth is is consistent. It's not um, huge, but it, we don't have a tremendous amount of capacity to bring new kids in at the front end, which is where people really discover us um, in that beginning of the funnel of preschool and and kindergarten. So, I'm very happy with the growth that we've seen. Uh, but it really then um, makes us ask the question about the, the facility that we have and whether or not it can accommodate what we need. Um, so the campus master plan uh, is going to be conducted by uh, Habib and Associates Architects out of um, the Boston area. Uh, Steve Habib and his firm have, uh, are, are not uh, unfamiliar to the Diocese of Bismarck. They helped Trinity High School to rebuild um, in that devastating fire that they had, um, you know, almost a decade ago now, and uh, and really did a tremendous job um, coming in and uh, and acting professionally, competently, and with um, you know an understanding of how Catholic schools function. And uh, Steve and his team did a great job. And that was the first time that we that I encountered um, Habib and Associates. I was impressed with what was going on there, according to. Um, the information I was getting from everybody in Dickinson. Um, but then they've also been included in projects in Williston um, and, uh, and another project in Dickinson as well. So um, Habib and Associates, we're, we're looking forward to what they bring to the table as an education, a, a firm that is specifically focused on Catholic education uh, and, and this niche market here. Uh, one of the things Steve and his colleagues do is they understand the funding model for any kind of major capital improvement of, of Catholic school facilities. Um, we don't just you know bond for a certain amount of dollars and you know and tax people. We have to um, engage them, uh, help them to see the importance of what we're doing, and help them to exercise what 
our virtue is today, which is magnificence. Um, it's kind of a nerve-wracking thing to think about um, the different options that we have before us. But you know, this building is 60 years old, um, and it was it was never designed to do what it's doing today in terms of pre-K through 12 um, education. And uh, as as our school evolves and grows, uh, this 60-year-old building has has been good to us, but um, needs we need some changes in order to be even more effective in, in our daily um, our daily duties, our daily programming. So in order for this to happen, we literally, literally will be relying upon um, a whole host of people who are um, who have that virtue of magnificence, who have that virtue of not only having the capacity to do something great, um, to make something great, to build something great, but the propensity, the desire, the generosity of spirit to want to do that and to bring it about. So it's a, it's a pretty huge undertaking. Um, we need prayers. This is a work of God. And uh, one of the things I told to everybody who's part of this, our committees um, in March when uh, we had our kickoff meetings was that we need to understand first and foremost that Bishop Ryan Catholic School is not just any other building uh, or any other business. This is, uh, this is a theological building. This is a building that is directly tied to God's will for the Catholic faithful of Minot and the surrounding area. And so the first and foremost thing that we need to keep in mind is what does God want in this process? What is God trying to accomplish here at Bishop Ryan? And, and how does our building serve that mission uh, currently? And what do we need in the future? So the process is, you know, I hope going to be a little bit different than maybe a normal campus master plan process in the sense that prayer and discernment are essential elements of what we're going to be trying to do. We're not going to just try to force what we think we need to do, but try to listen deeply to what God is saying to us uh, about about our, our role in this community right here, right now, and into the future so that we can best um, cooperate with his will and carry that out because it really is God's school. Uh, and so we're looking for um, great magnificence on the part of the people that are going to be involved with, with this campus master plan. Habib and Associates uh, are coming back at the end of May. Uh, we have uh, had this kickoff meeting. We are also then going to be moving into a next visioning stage. They are going to bring back information for us uh, dealing with our facility assessment. Uh, they've gathered a lot of data and uh, now we are going to hear back from them for the first time really some substantial uh, information at the end of May that will allow us to begin to put vision around what we what we think we should do. So it's it's going to get more exciting here in May. Um, and so that's what the Campus Master Plan is all about. I want to thank all of my volunteers uh, and people that are part of the school who are um, working on this plan with us. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm taking good counsel and I have uh, all the people in the room uh, well, not all of them, uh, but a good uh, cross-section of people in the room that are going to be helpful in to me and to the board in making a decision about what we're going to do going forward. So keep us in your prayers for that um, campus master plan process. 
I also want to talk a little bit about House Bill 1532. We had worked very, very hard, diligently, on crafting a bill with legislators this session that was going to move the ball down the field with regard to um, recognizing our importance and our role in our communities for our parents as an option for them to choose a school that aligns with uh, their moral, religious, philosophical beliefs about how their children should be educated. Parents are, by nature, the first educators of their children. The state is not pri the primary educator of the populace. Uh, the, the state, in its educational role, is a derivative um, partner. Uh, their, their authority derives from parental authority. This is rooted in uh, a, a recognized jur juridical principle um, with regard to schools that they act in loco parentis, in the place of parents. And uh, so parents are the first and primary educators of their children, and they have a right to direct the, their ed the education of their children in ways that best uh, align with what they think is good for them. And so, you know, school choice is something that is um, taking root all over the nation. There's a long history as to how we got to this, what I call a monolithic approach to education and K-12 education in the United States, uh, a, a, a monolithic approach which lacks um, choice, options, variation, diversity, and uh, it's based upon this public school monopoly uh, for, for the population. Uh, the reasons for this are rooted ultimately in anti-Catholic bigotry uh, at the end of the, um, well, at the beginning of the uh, 20th century, when the Catholic immigration immigrants were, were coming over from Ireland and Germany and otherwise and, and establishing themselves on the East Coast, the overwhelmingly Protestant um, communities in New York and Boston and otherwise um, didn't like the influence that the Catholics were having on their society. And uh, at that time, they were funding uh, religious education, but it was all in accordance with what the general homogenous um, group of people were, which was, you know, in that case, Protestant of various denominations. And so um, they didn't want to pay for, uh, Senator Blaine out of New York in particular, didn't want to pay for um, Catholic education, but he wanted to continue with uh, the importance of, um, of, of a, of a state-funded education. And so the way that they did this was at first to refuse to um, pay for students to go to Catholic schools, um, but Archbishop Hughes of New York um, recognized the, the discriminatory nature of that policy and said, if you're going to fund any religious schools, you have to fund them all, at which point then they said, okay, we're not going to fund any religious schools. Um, and it was with a wink and a nod that they created the, the common school system. Uh, basically, they took what were Protestant schools, they uh, made them um, common schools, but they continued to effectively operate as Protestant schools um, to the detriment of, of the Catholic population that was seeking something culturally different than what the Protestant schools were, were offering. Um, and as a result of this, uh, the, the New York Constitution um, installed what was really the first Blaine Amendment, a constitutional amendment to um, 
make sure that sectarian schools, which mean schools that are not that are thought to be heretical, um, in this case the Catholic schools, that those schools can't receive money. So sectarian, the very word sectarian is a loaded, charged word um, historically. Uh, and so it stopped money from going to sectarian schools. And uh, Senator Blaine uh, was very um, keen on expanding this across the nation and uh, very narrowly uh, missed uh, or failed to get this put into um, our, our federal constitution. And uh, but nevertheless, he worked with states um, to put these Blaine amendments into other state constitutions. Uh, and some of the states, as far as I can understand, were it was required that you had a Blaine amendment in order to be accepted into the union, um, which I think is the case for Montana and North Dakota. Well, fast forward to where we are today. Um, these Blaine amendments have been. Uh, acknowledged by the Supreme Court uh, to be unconstitutional because they they restrict the free exercise of religion of the population. Um, again, free exercise of religion is not reducible to what church you go to on Sunday. It's also how do you how do you live as your religion um, in a comprehensive manner? This most definitely includes education of children and uh, being able to educate your children in a way that corresponds with your religious faith. And so um, the Espinoza v. Montana decision, which, uh, which came uh, down from the Supreme Court, and I think in 2020, really lays out well the problems with the Blaine Amendments and our current funding model for schools. Um, I highly encourage everybody to read that decision, especially the concurring opinions of Justice Alito, Justice Gorsuch, and Justice Thomas, who lay out very well um, the discriminatory natures of these Blaine Amendments and how they um, do, in fact, impinge upon the uh, free exercise of religion of parents. And so as a, as a president of a Catholic school, I was very um, optimistic that the state of North Dakota, now that the Blaine Amendment has been declared to be unconstitutional, not only by the Supreme Court, by, but by a, a legal opinion written by our Attorney General, Drew Wrigley, who, who specifically mentioned this in, a, in, a, in an opinion that was um, about non-public school teachers' ability to uh, participate in a mentoring program through uh, Education Standards and Practices Board. Uh, and so I was very optimistic that now that this legal hurdle of the constitutionality of sending money to sectarian schools was out of the way, that we would um, be able to get passed in this very conservative, so-called conservative state, uh, school choice bill that was going to allow our parents some freedom to receive a common good benefit that is due to all of the citizens of North Dakota, but is restricted to only those who are um, willing to send their kids to public schools and to to um, forfeit uh, an, ed an education that corresponds closely with their religious beliefs uh, or moral beliefs or philosophical beliefs about what is best for their kids. And so our current system is basically says to parents, you have to pay taxes for the common good of the state of North Dakota. Part of the common good of the state of North Dakota includes a highly educated populace. So you have to pay taxes to fund our public education system. Uh, but you can't, um, if you have any you know, need for an alternative education, education other than the secular education provided by the government schools, then you have to forfeit your 
uh, share of the common good of the of the public benefit into which you're paying and which is uh, guaranteed or um, should be given to you based upon equal status under the law um, for uh, for receiving this public benefit of of uh, of a free education so um, we got it through the house we got it through the Senate it was a long fight to get that done uh, we had uh, a bill that was was in my mind elegant it protected both the autonomy of the non-public school to be a non-public school uh, this is against the attacks of the public school lobby that basically said oh it's not fair for for non-public schools to be non-public schools so they have to become public schools uh, in terms of everything that they do in order to uh, receive any government funds, which is a, fa a fallacious argument. Um, we, as a non-public school, have a right to exist as a non-public school. And the fact that we uh, help the, the common good by fulfilling this very same um, general purpose as public schools in terms of a common education, a general education um, being provided to our populace, um, we fulfill that. Our, our diplomas, our, uh, our state of North Dakota, diplomas in the sense that we are approved schools by the state of North Dakota. And so that means that the state of North Dakota recognizes that our um, our diplomas are worth uh, the same as a Minot public school or a Bismarck public school or a West Fargo public school diploma. We do the same, we, we achieve the same general outcome. And yet, because we're a non-public school, especially because we're religiously affiliated, uh, you know, we have a specific um, mission, and that mission transcends or goes beyond what a public school's mission is. Uh, the bill was set up in such a way that the school would be a fiscal agent, a pass-through, to provide an educational reimbursement to qualifying parents who send their kids to this non-public school or any non-public school that's approved uh, at, a, at a fraction of the rate that uh, the state of North Dakota is willing to pay for uh, each individual child that goes to a public school. It was maxed out at 30% of the baseline per pupil payment rate uh, outlined in Century Code, which is just over $10,000. So this would have provided up to a $3,200 or so dollar reimbursement for parents. And uh, we got it through the House. Um, then we got it through the Senate in an amended fashion that put a means test on it so that you wouldn't qualify for the program unless you were underneath 500% of the poverty level. Uh, and uh, and they, they cut the, um, the fiscal note on it to $10 million for, that, for one year. Uh, so uh, they added a study to it. There was going to be an interim study on this bill that would have required uh, the legislature to um, study the question of school choice and to come up with good options um, and and figure out what they wanted to do in the next session that had a sunset on this uh, um, bill so that the, it would it would basically be uh, we, we would have to go through an appropriations process again in order to be funded at all in the next in, um, biennium and yet um, Governor Burgum when it came to his desk uh, vetoed the bill, even though he stood up before the legislature, before the legislative session began, and told the legislature how important school choice was for the economy of North Dakota and and uh, and being a flourishing state. Um, this this legislative session has funded a virtual academy fully 
um, which means that you can now en enroll in a virtual academy in the state of North Dakota, and, and that virtual academy can receive the same rate for um, educating you over a computer, uh, no matter where you are. But if you go to a bricks and mortar school that um, happens to be non-public, you get nothing. Uh, and so I'm, as you can tell, frustrated with D Governor Burgum's um, apparent cowardice with regard to signing this bill. I don't know how else to put it. Um, and the reason is because when you stand up and say that school choice is important and then you get one bill that was absolutely fought over to your desk, um, was thoroughly vetted, and you veto it because it doesn't go far enough, knowing full well that anything uh, greater in terms of comprehensive reform would have been killed, would have never got to your desk, I have a hard time understanding how politically that works. Um, if, if you had a problem with uh, a bill that was, was as restrictive as this one was, uh, it would have been nice to hear about that before it got to your desk, when we still could have made changes, when the legislature could have heard about how um, bullish you were on uh, school choice and their need to pass something greater, which I don't know if it would have ever happened. Um, but it's it's disappointing to say the least. And may, you know maybe it's not cowardice, maybe it's political calculation. I don't know. I want I don't want to put I don't want to judge um, the interior sentiments of Governor Bergen, but that's what it looks like to me, and uh, it is it is disappointing to say the least. So. I look forward to hopefully working with Governor Burgum on uh, something over the interim uh, through our State Association of Non-Public Schools, which is our lobby that helped us to, to get this bill down the road and passed through two chambers before it got vetoed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating. And it's one of these um, situations in which we had an opportunity to really push the ball down the field and, and do something that's never been done and revisit it next biennium. But, uh, but it didn't happen. So with that, that's the update on some of the most important things going on at the school right now. I wanted to um, touch base on those two things so that you had an understanding of what was going on and uh, what we can expect going forward. Um, it's been uh, good to be with you this morning on Monday, uh, April 24th. I wish you a happy week and let's, uh, let's try to foster magnificence within our students, uh, getting them an understanding that uh, that it takes uh, people investing uh, themselves into the greater good in order for good things to happen. Um, God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Raising His Lions with Father Jaden Nelson. A special thank you to our lion parents, our partners in raising lions with inspired minds, faithful hearts, and lives of virtue. Visit us online at bishopryan.com.